All right. Good morning, New Life Church. How's everybody? So good to see you. That was kind of weak, but uh, everybody good? Yeah? All right. Yeah. Who's glad that Jesus is on the throne? Amen. Who's glad that we're not on the throne? That we're not the one running this thing? But He is. I know at times when, uh, when, when things come at you and get you down, uh, a lot of things like this week, physical sickness and ailments and things to that nature seem to get the best of us. When you're not feeling well physically, you just really don't feel well most of the time in, internally, in your soul and, and, and spiritually sometimes. And, but um, that's why we got to have each other, amen? That's why we got to call on each other. And I appreciate everybody praying for me and my household this week. And uh, thank God I'm... We're all better, praise the Lord, and I'm glad you guys are here, and you've got your prescription to take home with you today, uh, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, amen, so I think more than anything, you take him home with you today, amen, take him home with you today as you go about the rest of your week. Uh, well, let me invite you to open the word of God today to, back to Nehemiah. Back to Nehemiah, I started a message a couple of weeks ago before fall break, been out of town, we're on vacation, get back, get sick, get better, now I'm here again. And uh, so, uh, had a great day yesterday morning, I had our men's breakfast fellowship yesterday morning, uh, it was great seeing all the guys out uh, for that. Uh, we uh, had breakfast at the uh, Casey Jones Old Country Store. And I uh, just want to let you know, guys, we're going to be doing those more often. Uh, we've got another one coming up in December, and uh, you'll hear some more about that and get invitations on that. But um, very good, very encouraging, very uplifting, and, um, and, and anything. So anyway, enjoyed being with you around the breakfast table yesterday morning. Um, but anyway, started a message a couple of weeks ago called Remnants, Repairers, and Rebuilders. Uh, we're looking at this story in Nehemiah, uh, and, and everything really is in a way uh, throughout the scriptures. Um, things are seasonal and uh, throughout, throughout life, and, and God does things in seasons. And, and so, um, but anyway, we were looking at this. We're going to look back at it again today. We're going to pick back up. I can already tell you I will not finish uh, the rest of this uh, message today. Uh, so we'll plan is to pick up next week. And uh, there's just so much here. And I'm not trying to drag it on, you know, drag it on and drag it on. But it just, uh, I don't want to just go too fast over, over some things. You know, we sang a song earlier in our in, uh, praise and worship time that uh, he, he, it's the song, the, the word said, he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting, talking about God. Be still, rest my soul. He's in the waiting. And... Um, I think for those of you who are probably over 50, 55, you get the, you, you've come to a place in life where you understand no need to rush life. Those of us who haven't got there yet, we'll figure it out. But God's been trying to teach me that over the last couple of years. As I just uh, approached 40 last year, going to be 41 later this, this year, that, hey, don't go so hard so fast, son. Slow it down. I know you got things you want to do, people you want to see, places you want to go, a church you want to lead and grow and all that good stuff, but listen, I'm in the waiting. Don't push it. Don't force it. So whoever that's for today, I just felt like I needed to share that aspect of, of my story. Nehemiah chapter 1. should be able to follow along on the screen too as well in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign I Nehemiah was at the fortress of Susa Hanani one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah and I asked them about the Jews who had just returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Some other translations will use the word. I asked them about the remnant who returned. Remnant. Those who survived. Those who were remaining. Those who were still set apart. 
So I asked them how things were going. And this is their answer, verse 3. He said, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. Things are not going well. He said, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I think a good question for us is, what do we do in our life when things aren't going well? What is our response when things aren't going as well as we hope? Things aren't turning out like we thought. Things aren't coming together like we really want them to. Stuff's falling apart in a way. Certain situations, maybe relationships, maybe, maybe family the web of family, maybe, maybe just your future and your, your job, your career, maybe your college opportunities, whatever it might be. What do we do when things aren't going well? That's what was happening here. Things weren't well. What was Nehemiah's response? Look at this, verse 4. When I heard this, when I heard that things weren't going well, I sat down and I wept. In fact... For days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. That was his first response. He was humbled. When things aren't going well, do we try to rise up and make pretend that they're well? Or are we humbled? And when we're humbled, here's what happens. We pray. We turn to God. We may mourn. We may fast. But in that humility, our hearts are open and, our, and we're looking to heaven. We're looking to God. God is on our radar. God is in our sights. And we know, just like the last song we sang, I need you more. See, it's all good and well when we, when we really don't have a need, so to speak. But that's the deceptiveness that's, that exists, is, is that when we feel like we don't have a need, then... Oftentimes, we're not as hard-pressed to humble ourselves and pray and look to God still, right? Come on, got any honest people here today? But that's what Nehemiah did. He humbled himself, he prayed, and in his prayer, he asked for forgiveness. In his prayer, he, he acknowledged that they had made some mistakes. In his prayer, he realized that if, if, if God, if, we're gonna, if things are going to change, then, then I have to repent. I have to turn to you and I have to acknowledge you in all my ways. Not just in, in some of my ways, but in all of my ways. God, I've got to acknowledge you, right? So he did that. Then his repentance led him to action. See, that's the thing about repentance is anytime you and I repent of something, it will lead us and should drive us to action. Action towards godliness. Matthew recorded it this way. He said, he said, let your repentance be bear fruit worthy. He said, let your lifestyle be worthy of the repentance that you have. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, your action will show that you're truly repentant. Amen? Amen? And so in his action, he said, here's what I want to do. I need to go. I need to go back to my people and I need to do something. We need, to, we need to take care of this. The problem here in this time frame was this, is the walls of Jerusalem were, were torn down and the gates on those walls were destroyed. And here's what that means. I said this a few weeks ago. I'm not going to go back through that entire introduction like I did setting this thing up. That was on October the 2nd, if you want to go back and listen to that message. The first 15, 20 minutes introing this well, better than I am today. And the walls represented, well, they represented defense lines, but they also represented boundaries. And, a, and, a, and they were a symbol of protection, a protection to preserve what was on the inside. And what was on the inside, we'll see in just a moment. We have a picture again. In fact, can you go ahead and put that picture up? Carl, you see that? That's the wall of Jerusalem. That's the city of Jerusalem. And right in the middle there is a square and it says temple, the temple of God, symbolizing God's presence in the center of the city. 
And so the walls were torn down, meaning they were not protecting God's presence in their life. And Nehemiah said, we've got to do something about this. But then he said, we also have to rebuild, repair and rebuild the gates. The gates represent purpose. You see, when God's presence is not number one and center in our life, then God's purpose will not be happening in our life. Many of us want to, be, want to do and want to create and want to become and want to do great things for God, but apart from His presence, all that is is good acts. All those things are just good acts. They, they carry no power. They carry no authority. They really carry no transformation and life change in anything we would do. That's why it requires our life needs God's. We need God's presence. That's why we take time every week together as the church to worship Him in music, to worship Him in praise, to worship Him in that manner because what that does, it stirs us up and reminds us every time we're together that I need the presence of God in my life. Amen? And when we catch on that we need God's presence more than we need anything else, then we'll realize everything else that we thought we needed really pales in comparison to what we really need. You see, our flesh is hungry and it searches and it's thirsty and it wants to drink after things and of things of this world that we think will satisfy us, that we think will bring us satisfaction and fulfillment in our life, but they're only short and they're temporary and they pass real fast. Real fast. But God's presence is something that will never fall from us so long as we preserve to keep it in the center of our life. And that's what Nehemiah was getting at. So he said, I got to go. I gotta, we got to go back and rebuild the walls. We got to go back and repair and rebuild the gates and the purpose of God because there's still life to happen. We've got to show the people around us. We got to show the cities around us. We got to show the nations around us that we really are different and we're different not because of our name. We're different because of who is inside of us. That's the difference. That's what makes Christianity stand out. Not as a religion, not as a, as a form of, of religion, but as the righteousness of who God is and the relationship that God is that He wants to have with humankind. Relationship on the inside of us. You see, we get caught up in looking at the external. We're faulted that way. The Bible says we do that. In fact, it happened in the story of David and Goliath. Said so man looks at the outward appearance, right? That's why we have so many problems today in our world. We look, we get caught up on what's on the outside. We judge people by what's on the outside. But God says, I look at heart. And see, friends, that's why you and I, as believers, those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that's here today, that we have to preserve. Not necessarily what's on the outside. Because we can do that by ourselves. But we need to preserve what's on the inside. And that, need, that requires God's help. The heart. The soul. And so he said, I need, I'm going to do something. So this is what he did. Chapter 2, right here, verse 17. He said, I hadn't told anybody about what I was doing when I got back to Jerusalem, but here he is. He said, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. So let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, you're stupid. We're not going to listen to you. Did it say that? What Man, what version am I? What version is, oh, that's the Prentice Woods version. <laughs> now they said, they, they replied at once, you know, right, you're right. You know, let's, let's do this. Let's rebuild the wall. Let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. I could end there, but the next verse is so important. It said, as soon as that happened, Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan. They... They scoffed contemptuously at us, and they, they said, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Contemptuously, that's a good word to use in one of your papers you have to write. It's one of those big words. 
that impresses the teacher as long as you spell it right and you know what it means. In other words, they were their haters. In other words, they were against them. They were their enemy. And you see, it's anytime any person says yes to God, the enemy will come at you. The enemy will come at you. Anytime you stand in faith for something, anytime you take a stand on God's word for something, anytime you humble yourself before God and say yes to him, I will do your will, God. I will go where you say go. I will be the kind of person you want me to be. Lord, have your way in my life. Like Isaiah and Jeremiah, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm the one. Use my life. I'm going I'm to do it your way. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm not going to Burger King it through life. going to do it your way. The enemy's like, all right. Pow! He comes at you hard. He comes at you hard. He comes at you hard. Why? Because the Bible says that the people of God who know God will do great exploits for him. Those who know God will be strong and do great exploits for him. You see, in your commitment and in your yes for God and in your stand for the Lord and on his word and having faith, you're, you're, God is saying you're going to be strong and you're going to do great exploits. And so because of that truth, the enemy is going to try to combat that. Tempt you and take you down. Put things in your path to try to take away your faith, to try to erode your faith, to try to get your eyes and your, and your thoughts focused on the wrong things. To be misguided and misdirected and not looking in the right direction, focused on the right thing. In all of thy ways, acknowledge him, Proverbs tells us. In all of our ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. And so that's what happened. They came at him. But here's what uh, Nehemiah said, verse 20. Then we'll move forward. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. I have to believe he didn't just, you know, stand there and it was like, uh, you know, and the God of heaven will help us succeed and we as servants will start rebuilding this wall. And, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim. The God of heaven will help us succeed. Your back's against the wall or part of a wall that you know you got to rebuild, that you know you got to repair, and the enemy says, bam, going to stop you here. What do you do? Yesterday I challenged our, the men at our breakfast fellowship to write down 10 daily declarations about their life, about what they believe God says about them, that what God says, this is who I believe I want you to be. And to write them down and put them somewhere where they're going to see them every day. If you've got to put them on your rearview mirror, because all you do is look in the past, but every time you look there, you've got your 10 daily declarations and you see your future. Put them somewhere where you're going to see them. And I challenge you to write these declarations down and then speak them over your life every day because that is who you're going to become. That is who you will become. And I believe that was a declaration that Nehemiah proclaimed. Okay, I, God wants me here. God wants me to do this. I understand that I'm going to say yes to him. And the enemy attacks. I got camaraderie. We got unity. We got people gathered together. They're willing to do this thing. They're willing to pay the price, willing to make sacrifices, willing to make it happen, willing to do what God wants to do to preserve the presence of God in the center of their life and to be active in the purpose of God for their life. The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, we will start rebuilding this wall. But as for you, talking to the enemy, as for you, you don't have any right here. You don't have any part here. You do not belong here. Amen? And that's what we did this morning in, in the time of prayer. Pastor Lindsay and Pastor Prentice did in this prayer time was to let the enemy know they are trespassing. 
The enemy is trespassing. And we have to become fed up with the enemy trespassing. <coughs> Amen? And so we have to stand our ground and make our declaration by faith in God's word and be willing to walk it out. Amen? And so that's what they began to do. And then you can now, if you don't mind, you can put the picture back up of chapter 3. There are ten gates around this wall, Jerusalem, ten gates. We did, we did the sheep, look at the top, right-hand corner, sheep gate, 3.1, that's Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Go to the left, fish gate, then the old gate. Today we're going to start at the valley gate. Let me pray real fast. God of heaven, you're on our side. God of heaven, you're with your people. God of heaven, I thank you. You don't just dwell up there in the heavenly places, but by your spirit and your presence, you dwell within the hearts of believers. And today we're gathered together to hear from you. We're gathered around your throne room to hear what do you have to say today? What do you have to tell us today? Because surely what you have to say is way more important than anything else we can hear. Because it, it, it concerns our life. It concerns our destiny. It concerns our purpose. So, Lord, we give you this next few minutes, our time, our attention, our hearts, our devotion. Speak to us, O oh God. Enlighten us, encourage us, and challenge us to help us to continue to, to move forward in what you have. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody can say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jake. Chapter 3 describes this entire process of them beginning to rebuild and repair the wall and the gates. Again, the wall guarding and preserving the presence of God and the gates representing the purpose of God for their life. And there's all these gates. And all these gates, they're not just, they're not just traditional um, architectural things that take place. Anything God does, He does with purpose. Okay, you got that? Anything God creates, He creates with purpose. And he created this in a way that will bring great meaning. These people understood the meaning behind all these things. And they have great meaning to us today. The Valley Gate, chapter 3, verse 13, it describes it. They, they, they says the Valley Gate was repaired by the people from Zenoa, led by Hanun. And they set up its doors and installed its bolts and the bars. And they repaired the 1,500 feet of the wall leading to the next gate, which is the you can read it, the dung gate, and that's exactly what that's about. The, but the valley gate, the valley gate, there's this gate, there were several valleys that surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and this gate led out into one of those valleys. Now here's, that's the natural meaning, the spiritual, personal aspect of this are that the valley gates speak to us of humbling times, of trials, of experiences that God uses for our own personal growth. Now, you and I, we, we're, we're not, we're not uh, the kind of people who sign up for, for pain. We're not the kind of people who say, sign me up to go through valleys, the, uh, you know, throughout, throughout my life. We don't just, you know, those, those are not fun times. But their experiences, spiritually speaking, we have to understand this, that the valley gate in our life needs to be in operation because we need to understand that God uses it through us and uses it for our own personal spiritual growth and maturity. There are a lot of different valleys in the Bible. Um, David spoke of one in Psalm 23. He said, for though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's this, there's the, the death valley, the dark valley. Other translations describe it as dark valleys. There's uh, later on in Psalm 84, there's another valley called the Valley of Weeping. So they go through the Valley of Weeping and they cry, but God turns it into a refreshing spring. There's, there's the valleys of wilderness. Jesus went through the wilderness valley in Matthew 4 prior to starting his earthly ministry. Prior to doing anything public for God, he had to go through, some, he had to go through a valley. His was 40 days long. And he went through the wilderness and was tested by God. And he was also tempted by the devil. But he overcame. He didn't give in to the temptation. 
he yielded to the testing. And it said at the end, the angels of heaven came and ministered to him. And then he went back into the city filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the kind of things that happen when you and I yield to valleys in our life. We don't like them. We don't sign up for them. But oftentimes, here's what we do. We pray that those valleys go away. We pray that God just take this issue away. Take this problem away. Take this trial away. Take this heat off of my life. Take this pressure off of me, God. I can't take it. I can't handle it. God, I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do anything here. And oftentimes, we miss what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to grow in us. He's wanting to produce some good things inside of us. That's, that's what those valleys are for. Valleys show us what we need to get rid of in our life. You see, if you and I don't go through valleys, then you and I will never know what God wants to grow in us, what he wants to do in us. You see, you and I learn from the trials. You and I learn from tribulations. You and I learn from valley experiences, valley gates. Here's what uh, James said. He said, uh, in James 1, if you're taking notes or writing some things down, James 1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it, it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I know that messes with our minds mentally, naturally. That just is stupid, right? But if you understand how faith works, how God works, that God will use a trial and use a trouble to bring greater good out of your life. Because he'll teach you something. He'll teach us something in that. He said, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Endurance, let it grow. Let it grow. How will endurance grow? Only when you go through valleys. Only when you go through trials. Right? So here's the thing. Our, 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 our posture in the time of, of valleys is God what are you wanting to do? What are you trying to get to me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to, to grow in me? What, what is it in my life that, that I'm not getting? That I'm in a place where God, I, you're obviously trying to shed something off of me and grow something out of me. That should be our response as believers. Not trying to run away from it. Not trying to shy from it. Not trying to live in fear of having to go through anything. Because we have this promise and this guarantee from God that I will always be with you. You go through the fire, I'll be with you. You go through the floods, I'll be with you. The point being is you go through. You go through. And if you never go through the trial, if you never go through the valley, then friend, you'll never grow in your endurance. You'll never grow in your endurance. Meaning you might, be, you might be lovers of Jesus and on fire for God now, but then you go through some things. Whatever happened to so-and-so? What, what, whatever happened to them? I don't know. No endurance. Look around your life. Think about the believers in your life who have no endurance. Not as judgment, but as a, as a, as a, as a place in your, in, your, in your life to say, hey, oh, it's endurance. Those who endure to the end, Revelation says, will be saved. Those who are remaining, the remnants, those who are remaining at the trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found in Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. He's only going to come back for those who are remaining. Friends, and it's in this time of our period of life, while we live here on this earth, that he wants to grow so much in you, do so much in you because of his purpose that he has for you. But your valley gate's got to be strong. Amen? Your valley gate's got to be strong. Anybody follow me today? I know we don't like talking about trials and tribulations and tell, you know, life sometimes just sucks. Right? But I know far too many people who just play church, but they don't have any endurance. They don't have any endurance. They have the woe is me. Every time something happens, oh man, life tearing me down. Life is getting the best of me. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just telling you, God is greater than our problems. God is stronger than your adversary. God is better than anything on this planet. 
So whatever you face, whatever you go through, let it be the teaching moment, the teaching season in your life that God must have something bigger and greater and stronger for my life than I'm getting right now. So therefore, Lord, I'm going to let you move in me right here, teach me right here, grow in me right here. Show me what I don't need that I'm obviously depending upon more than I am depending upon you. Which leads us to dun, 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 the dung gate. <laughs> the dung gate. That's exactly, oh man, I don't know who had to work on that thing. So chapter 3, verse 14, the dung gate was repaired by some people. So it was, uh, did have people a part of that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Can you imagine? It had to stink. Literally, that's what that was for. That's where the refuse and the trash and the garbage and the stuff was all taken out of the city. Right? That's why, it's, isn't it good to be a part of modern day plumbing? The dung gate, that's what, that's what that was for. I, you want to make sure that gate's working good. <laughs> you want to make sure that gate is working good because that's, that's what that was for. But here's the thing about the dung gate, spiritually speaking, the way God views it in our life is, is we, we have rubbish in us. We have stuff in our life that is not honorable to God, that is not doing us any good the longer we keep it. A part of us. And he says, I need to clear the way. I need to clear away the rubbish in our life. It's never easy, but when we yield to the valley gates, the valley gate, the valley season of life in, in life shows us what we need to get rid of. And then we come to a place where we have to make a decision. Will I let God get rid of this? Will I let him get rid of this? Paul talked about it in Philippians 3. Paul was a scholar, he was, he was uh, by his standards, he was perfect. By God's standards, he was vacant. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Philippians 3, 7, 8. He said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, also, a.k.a. as dung. That's what it really means. That's what he's really saying. I, everything I have attained in my life is dung. Everything I have relied on, trusted in, depended on, and patterned my life after is dung. You don't want to continue to live in that place. He said, so I gave it all up. I discarded it. I got rid of it so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Colossians tells us, Paul writes this in Colossians 3, the kind of stuff that you and I are supposed to be getting rid of. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. Yeah, even greedy's in there. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater and worshiping the things of this world. He says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. It was common. That's all. That's nothing to, less to be expected there. He said, but that's not who you are anymore. He said, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie. Put on your new nature. Change your clothes. Change your clothes. He says, um, since, God has cho since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with, here's the alternative, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, and by the way, he said, make allowance for each other's faults. I know I didn't step on anybody's toes with that one today. Oh, and, 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 oh, another one. And forgive anyone who offends you. I just made that one up. <laughs> I 
XX 3 verse 13. Oh, don't forget, he said, remember the Lord forgave you. I think we just drop the mic and leave. <laughs> if we could just remember that. Oh, yeah. He did forgive me for that. Dang, God, you were good. You forgave me. And I must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with this. Love. Which binds us all together in perfect unity. Amen? Love. Don't forget to put on love. But you got to get rid of the dung in your life. And let me just tell you this. It's a journey. But at the same time, it's not an excuse. Because when we know that God is pressing on us and God is pushing our button and God is getting up in our grill and God is in our face God is dealing with our hearts friend how long are you going to allow yourself to carry on without bending a knee to what God is wanting to do inside of you why fight it why resist it why urge it why, why do that why, why chance it because you're prolonging, anytime we do that, we're prolonging our destiny. We're prolonging our purpose because we won't be able to turn the corner. Here's what happens. You see where that's located at the bottom? <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, you take a 90 degree turn. You take a 90 degree turn and you get to the fountain gate. And that's where I'm going to stop today is the fountain gate. You take a turn. Your life, here's another way to say it, your life turns the corner. Anybody ever turn the corner on some stuff? I mean, if somebody really knew who you was, right? Somebody really knew how you acted. If somebody really knew how you talked back in the day, maybe yesterday. <laughs> We're all unqualified. But the last time I checked, God uses unqualified people to do His thing. He always has, and He's been doing it for a long time. And that's what makes the devil mad. And that's what makes people upset. But when a willing heart and a humble heart yields before God and lets God deal with the dung in their life, man, my life turns a corner. I make a change for the better. I go, instead of going down dead end street, I make a left turn and go up front street and it's paved all the way and it's straight all the way and God takes care of me all the way and he makes sure that I get where I need to get all the way and he makes sure I have what I need to have all the way it doesn't mean I'm not going to encounter some obstacles come on somebody it don't mean I'm not going to have some bumps and bruises and that people aren't going to push me and get me going but it means as long as I stay on the old godly way that he will take me where I need to go and He will make sure my life works out. He will make sure my purpose works out. He'll make sure my marriage hangs on. He'll make sure my children serve the Lord. He'll make sure my life makes sense to somebody else. That He'll take my pain and use it for His glory. He'll take my mess and He'll do something good with it. He'll take my addictions away from me. He'll wash my sin off of me. And he'll deal with this old, dirty, rotten temper that I've had. And he'll deal with the unforgiveness in my heart. And he'll make me a lover of people that I used to not like. And he'll make me see things through his eyes and not my own. He'll make my heart beat with his compassion. Because at the end of the day, it's his breath that fills my life. And it's not my own. 
and my life turns to the fountain gate. Thank God for the fountain gate. The fountain gate, that's exactly what that is. It's a fountain. And that's where people went to go get clean after they got rid of the stuff in their life. You see, here's the thing about God and His goodness and His grace and His mercy is that when you get rid of stuff, you give it to Him, you don't stay dirty. You don't stay contaminated. You don't stay toxic. You don't stay trapped in what once trapped you and held you. You don't stay the same old person that you were. No, God changes you. And the fountain gate is the presence and the filling of God in your life through the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. And that's verse uh, 15. We talked about the fountain gate, chapter 3. But here's what Jesus says about the fountain gate. John 7. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For scriptures declare, there's that word again, declare. I think God's trying to get us on something here. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. A river that is dammed up becomes contaminated over time. A river that has no forward movement in its path will become contaminated become toxic. You ever drive by bodies of water and it's just gross and, and it's green and it's nasty? It looks like a science experiment going on over there. And there's like nothing drinking out of it. And ain't anything going to ever go jump in it. It's because it has no flow. It hasn't got rid of its blockage. Jesus says, anybody who believes in me, get rid of your stuff and fountains of rivers of living water will flow. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. And that would take place. And that's what he taught his disciples in John 14. He said, I ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. And who will, who will never leave you. That advocate, it says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. And down in verse, chapter, John 14, verse 26, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. The Holy Spirit working in their life. Chapter 16, John 16. He said, it's best that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. But then the Holy Spirit did really come in Acts chapter 2. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And then suddenly, suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a windstorm, of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This had never happened. This had never happened, and it sounded like a mighty windstorm came through that room. There were 120 people, followers of God, who were gathered in a room praying. And then suddenly, the time came, God said, this is the time, this is the hour, I will pour out my spirit on the earth. And it said, suddenly. Friends, sometimes, well, most of the time in our life, What you and I lack is suddenlies, our suddenlies, the suddenlies of God in our life. God wants to suddenly 
move in your life. He is waiting to move in your life. Some of you are wondering, will God ever change anything about, my, about me and about my condition, about my situation? Will God ever any, really do anything about what, what's really going on here? Does he really know the ins and outs and the details of, of what's going on? Does he, really, does he really get it? Will he really bring me the right one? Will he really get me to the right job? Will he really cause my situation to turn around? Will he really give me the strength to be strong in a day and hour where I need it most? Will he really give me the resolve to stand my ground when all I want to do is go lay down and hide under my bed? Will he really give me the faith to believe him that he is the healer even though I face the, the, the problems that I face, the ailments that I have? Will he really provide for me when all I have is this measly old little paycheck? These are all the things that go on in different people's lives. Will he really bring me comfort while my heart is grieving over my loss, over my loved ones? Oh, will he help me get over my mistakes and my shame and my regrets of my past because that's all that seems to be popping up on my screen. Will he really heal this broken and confused heart of mine? Suddenly, the Holy Spirit came. Rivers of living water. God, if I give you this stuff that I'm holding on to, see, this is all I know, this is all the pattern I have is what I have. This is all I got. This is all I know. I don't know any better. I don't know how to act any better. I don't know how to talk any better. God, I don't know how to think any differently. This is all I know. This is the pattern that's been passed down to me from generations past. This is all I know. I got anger. I got hate. I got issues. I got troubles. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I know the Holy Spirit's talking to somebody here today. I got questions and I need answers. I got confusion and I need some clarity, God. Because I see everybody else around me and I see what's happening around and, and happening to them. But what about me? What about me? Oh, how do I know that you will take me and lead me and guide me and make a straight path for me if I turn the corner? I don't know what's around the corner. And that's the scary thing about life. We don't know what lies around the corner. But let me tell you what really lies around any corner that you and I need to turn for the Lord. And that is this. Your breakthrough is around the corner. Your purpose is waiting for you around the corner. God's just waiting for you to get down to the end. Get down to the bottom. Get down to the end of that barrel where you are scraping it and you're like, God, I, I've been fighting it and I've been holding it and I've been keeping it for so long, but no, I, I got to get rid of this in my life. I can't keep this in my life anymore. I can't keep, it's going to kill me. It's, it's, it's toxic to me. It's, it's, it's not helpful to me, God. I got to get rid of this, but what's going to happen when I get rid of this? Am I going to feel empty? And am I going to feel vulnerable? Am I going to feel left? Am I going to feel alone? Am I going to just be a blank canvas? What's going to happen to me if I just let it all go? God says you'll turn the corner and you'll find a fountain. And that fountain is my presence. And that fountain never runs dry. never runs dry. There is a fountain flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And it's been flowing for over 2,000 years. And that fountain, it never gets muddy. It never gets cluttered. It never becomes confused as to whether or not it should be on or off. It's a fountain that 
never stops. And friend, that is the presence of the Holy Spirit, of God. He says, look, if you'll just turn the corner. Some of you have gotten so close to the corner. I'm serious. Some of you have gotten so close to the corner. And you're like, I'm gonna, I, 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 I see it. I'm going to go for it. And then you, you take a, short, a quick peek around. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I should just really let go. I don't know if I should just really let it go. I don't know, God, should I really let this anger go? God, what they did to me. God, should I really let this, this hatred go? That I got towards people. All this injustice that I see in our world just makes me rage. God, I, I got so much offense and bitterness in me. And rightly so, because of all the stuff that's happened. God, should I really? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I want to forgive her, but doggone it. She did this. I want to forgive him, but he went off and said that. I want to let go. And friend, God can do nothing for any one of us unless we let go. Unless we let go. What are we holding on to today? What are we holding on to? Do you know the finger of God is pushing that? And He's saying, if you'll just let it go, you'll turn the corner. And you'll see that the, around the corner really is better for you than where you are right now. Come on, I need you more. Sing it loud and proud, Jake. Sing it with the soul, brother tone you got, my friend. Come on, let's stand to our feet.